Hey, what's going on, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student, and in this particular episode, hopefully a more fit one as well. Because in this episode, I'm interviewing Dr. John Rady, who is one of the world's foremost experts on the connection between exercise and fitness and the performance of your brain. Now, I have talked about why exercise is really important to you as a student in many videos and podcasts before, but uh, recently I read Dr. Rady's book, which is called Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise and the Brain, and learned just how important it is to brain function and how exercise can improve things ranging from stress to anxiety to your ability to learn to your ability to pay attention and everything in between. It's ridiculous how effective exercise is at improving the overall functioning of your brain in addition to your body. So in this episode, I'm going to pick Dr. Rady's brain on a few of the things I learned in the book. Uh, I actually finished this book quite quickly because, as you may be aware, I am doing a reading challenge, basically enforcing myself to read 25 pages a day. And due to that challenge, I finished this book much quicker than I have finished most nonfiction books in the past. And I found it ridiculously enlightening. This thing is going straight on my essential books for students list. And uh, even if you learn a lot from this podcast, I would highly recommend reading this book if you get some time. Not only will reading it further drive home the importance of exercise, both now as you're a student and as you age, but it's also just a tour of how the brain works. I actually learned a lot about how neurotransmitters work, how uh, different proteins and growth factors actually influence the growth and uh, strengthening of dendrites and axons and all these this crazy science that I did not know about before and now I do know at least a little bit about. So would highly, highly recommend this book and I also hope that you enjoy this interview. After the interview, I'm actually going to be doing a little bit of follow-up with my personal workout routine and some extra tips. So don't go anywhere after the interview's over. This is a bit of a special episode in that regard. And if you want to find the show notes, as always, you'll find them over at CIGpodcast.com. Find the episode 105 link on the page and you'll get all those links and details and resources. So that is all I have for this intro. Hopefully you find this interview enjoyable and informational and let's get right into it. Dr. Reddy, welcome to the show. Well, good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, be on the show. And uh, I just wanted to let you know, I I found your book probably about a year ago and forced myself to start reading more consistently um, last month. And yours was the first one I picked. I had been wanting to get into it, um, decided to do 25 pages a day without fail. And a week later, I was done with your book. And man, like I knew exercise was important for brain health as well as for just your body's health. But I didn't know the specifics and how it benefited all these different subjects from learning to anxiety to depression. It's crazy to think of like almost every problem you can think of with the body could be at least improved through exercise. Um, and I really want to pick your brain on those on some of those specific topics. But I'm curious, how did you get into researching exercise uh, in terms of brain science? Well, it started with my own life, playing tennis through college and high school, college and beyond. And then uh, when I came to Boston from my training, it was in the middle of the Boston Marathon. And uh, so uh, the Boston Marathon explosion with Bill Rogers way back. Mm. And uh, this uh, led us all to start running. 60% of my 24 first year resident class was were running and then uh, led to a lot of patients who had to stop running because they injured themselves or got 
uh, frustrated or, and stopped running for a variety of reasons. And mm. uh, we saw a lot of depression, withdrawal, and then uh, one in particular very prominent uh, professor at both MIT and Harvard had uh, been a runner all of his life and had to stop because he had a knee injury. Mm-hmm. And he ended up having a, a adult onset attention deficit disorder. This is back in 1981 when we didn't know anything about much about ADHD and certainly not uh, about it in adults. So this led to a whole career then looking at ADHD, but at the same time, learning about exercise and all the power that it had, not just in ADD, but certainly we were learning a lot about its effect in depression, anxiety, stress, and all the chapters in my book. And now we know that it's a very useful way to help deal with cravings and thus uh, very important for substance abuse and addictions and all of that. So it's interesting that you you mentioned the running thing. I had a friend who challenged himself to run every single day for a year, and he did. And then once that year was up, he stopped. And I remember him mentioning that he had felt depressed afterwards as well. Yes, yes. No, it, it, it's very, it was very common. First, people would get depressed, then anxious uh, and stressed. And uh, when they stopped running, and, and then this one person in particular had uh, all the signs of uh, attention deficit disorder so it was it was quite uh, significant and and so he was self medicating and and we find this found this as we began to explore people with ADHD both children and adults that uh, exercise is a way of giving yourself a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin so that's and that's what it does i mm-hmm. mean essentially so for people who don't know all the drug terms, what exactly do Prozac and Ritalin do in the brain? Well, well they they increase our neurotransmitters, okay. which are the little chemicals that go between our nerve cells that run our brain. And these uh, two of them are one, one serotonin, the other dopamine and norepinephrine. Those three are major uh, players in keeping us attentive, keeping us calm, Mm-hmm. keeping our moods up, keeping us in a state of well-being uh, and all that. So uh, an exercise does the same thing as uh, these medicines, which raises those chemicals. Right. Uh, that's how we fix problems in, in psychiatry or to attempt to. And <clears throat> exercise does the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. does a lot more that we, we're, we're learning every day. Um, as we unpack the power of exercise on our brains. Right. So I need to definitely review the book and go back and kind of refresh some of the the details. But um, I guess going off of memory, norepinephrine is the neurotransmitter that really plays a pivotal role in increasing your ability to pay attention. And then dopamine kind of sharpens that attention and enables you to focus on a particular subject and increases the interest in that. Is that correct? Would that be a good An easy way to think of it is, is that attention is, is made up of those two, two chemicals mm-hmm. in our brain that directs them. A lot more is going on, but those are the two major ones. 
Right. And norepinephrine is alerting. It's an energizing. It it's an it's a, an awakening okay. neurotransmitter. Literally, it helps us get awake in the morning. Uh, and dopamine really creates this a level of interest hmm. in uh, what we're doing. So both these go together to help us pay attention and sustain our attention over time. So we don't get distracted or bored or, or frustrated. So I know a lot of your research has been in the realm of ADHD. Um, and it seemed like that was kind of the, f- the first step into exercise research that you took. And I was reading the attention chapter, which focuses heavily on patients with ADHD. And I was kind of wondering, is ADHD like this diagnosis where certain people have it and the rest of us are kind of far from it? Or is it more the way I would intuitively view it, where it's kind of a spectrum of attentional ability and um, maybe each of us has our own small amount of ADHD, but it's not diagnosable? Right. Well, it's, uh, the diagnosis comes when the attention is disordered to the degree that it interferes with daily living. That okay. is, it, it, uh, and so, yes, it's a very much a spectrum. So all of us profit by sharpening our attention. Mm-hmm. And exercise is one of the ways that this happens to to work. Um, to after you're done with the uh, swimming or biking or lifting weights or running, your attention is far better than it was before uh, in in a variety of different ways, including uh, expanding your what we call your working memory mm-hmm. or your your RAM chip. So your ability to take in more information and hold it and play with it uh, is expanded when you exercise. Okay. So I wanted to go into kind of two different areas of this question here, Um, because I know the book talks about there were some studies where German researchers tested uh, students' abilities to acquire new vocabulary words after exercise. So... For how long after an exercise session is your ability to pay attention increased? Is it like a temporary effect or can it kind of span the whole day? Uh, and also, does it increase your ability to pay attention overall? Uh, just like just builds the muscle, basically? Yes, it uh, it it overall it it builds it helps build the muscle, mm-hmm. but it lasts uh, anywhere from two to four hours after a bout a bout of exercise. Okay. But for some people, that gets them ready for the whole day. They get into the mood uh, of being attentive, if you will, or the the expectation, and and they uh, can continue. Now, other people, of course, fall off and fall off over the four-hour period of time. Mm-hmm. For those people, do you recommend or do you know of people who will do like two workouts a day to kind of keep the effect going? Well, usually we recommend a like a starter in the morning of at least ten minutes of really good exercise, mm-hmm. really hard exercise, um, and then throughout the day, little jump starts, uh, four minutes, five minutes, seven minute exercise, which is a, a good uh, app to have on your phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, the seven minute workout. Oh yeah, I love that no, one. It's perfect, perfect because it it really does get all your muscle groups going, and which is great in general, but uh, also jumps your brain into high gear. So it it sort of 
builds on what uh, a more powerful morning exercise routine would be. Yeah. Yeah. The seven minute workout app was the thing that got me back into a almost daily exercise habit. And I had it as part of my morning routine for quite a while. Really great thing because it's free as well. So um, for those like little afternoon jolts, um, for me, I will go rollerblading or I'll just go for a walk. But do you have to get your heart rate really up again or is just like a brisk walk enough to kind of bring back your attention? Anything is, is enough. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it depends. Uh, getting, I mean, the idea would be jump rope or uh, rollerblading. Come on, rollerblading gets your heart rate up. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, so that, that is uh, perfect. But uh, just doing or d- doing some calisthenics by your desk, even, you know, push ups, uh, squats, uh, lunges anything uh jumping jacks if you're not going to annoy people below you uh or uh, burpees of all things which are hated but uh they're they're, those were a punishment for me when i was a kid yeah well it still (laughs) is a punishment um great one is the star jump where you do a squat and then jump up uh, with your arms and your legs spread as wide as you can so Mm -hmm. it's it's uh uh quite a it involves balance and rhythm and uh, plyometrics and as well as power and your heart rate gets up real quick. Okay. So I'm interested to know, I know in the book uh, near the end, you kind of mentioned that most of the research that's been done on exercise has been done on aerobic exercise because it's pretty tough to get a rat to lift a barbell. Um, They're getting better. So I was going to ask, yeah, because the book was 2008. So it's been... Uh, eight more years, what's the research like on anaerobic exercise now? Anaerobic exercise, you know, they actually have done studies where they have rats climbing up a staircase with the weights tied to their tails. So it's pretty ingenious, but they're, they're doing it. And what they find is that in measuring stuff, in the brain, like one of the big things they measure is BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is really uh, what I call miracle growth for the brain or mm-hmm. brain fertilizer. Uh, and the rats lifting weights, uh, essentially, uh, one, they get much stronger. Two, they their brains get sharper and their level of uh, BDNF goes up, but not nearly as much as it does if you have the rats running in a running wheel. Okay. Now, now for humans, when you think about uh, the normal person in a gym who's lifting weights, they are in a high aerobic state all the time. Usually, they they go anaerobic and they don't sit and wait like power lifters for the five minutes and and Mm. then lift again. They're going on a circuit or uh, they're going from one. A muscle group to the other, uh, so they're really aerobic, uh, meaning ten or twenty beats per minute higher than their uh, than their sitting heartbeat, mm-hmm. heart rate, and and their muscles are being activated and their brain is being challenged with during this time. So, uh, and that's the whole point of what exercise, physical exercise, does. And how it prepares the brain and readies the brain to, to pay attention and and not only that but readies the brain to learn, which is readies the brain to grow. Okay. Uh, 
which is so important. So it's still um, basically aerobic exercise is still needed for that. Well, you, uh, they've done actual studies with strength trainers, mm-hmm. and they they get some of the benefits, uh, a lot of the, the, the same benefits as aerobic exercise does in terms of learning, in terms of mood, anxiety, and stress relief, but not as much. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're looking at it uh, like that. Interesting. So when I was a teenager, uh, my dad was a competitive powerlifter and all of his friends were too. So, I mean, he's he's down in like our basement gym bench pressing 500 pounds. And I remember every time I would do a circuit workout just to kind of shake things up, he'd kind of poke fun at me and be like, why aren't you going to go do heavy squats instead, man? So yep. now I'll have some yep. ammunition to be like, nope, got to go <laughs> improve my brain by doing a circuit. Which usually right. I do circuits or uh, or supersets now, just because I don't really like having downtime in the gym. Uh, it yeah. seems to make the workout go ten times longer. Well, the powerlifters are a weird group, you know. I mean, come on, uh, you know they they do. I mean, it's not a, a bunch of uh, reps. They 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 go for this the biggest rep that they can, mm-hmm. um, and and then they sit and wait five minutes and do another lift. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's quite boring. Um, but yes, uh, <laughs> it, it kind of killed the, the passion for the gym that I had, um, because I felt like that's how you lift. You, you do one set of three reps and then you wait for five minutes and then you do it again. It's just, it's, uh, I know a bunch of power lifters and it's, it's <laughs> an interesting life. Mm-hmm. Although the, a lot of them also do training. I mean, they also do strength training other ways as well. Yeah, exactly. So you talked about um, not only the benefits of aerobic exercise in the book, but also the benefits of complex movements in sports. So can you talk a bit about how the brain is improved by learning those new skills in sports? Well, I thought you were going to, when you mentioned the German study, I thought you were going to mention the study that looked at an elite group of uh, German students who did 10 minutes essentially eight minutes, but a 10-minute bolus of uh, running mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, did tests before and after they ran and, and those that finished, I mean, those after after they were done, their scores went up. But then they did it the next week, they did uh, a similar kind of an aerobic challenge, but now they added in some coordination challenges along the way, like dribbling, two different size uh, basketballs, a basketball and a, a soccer ball, or kicking, uh, or having to juggle while they were moving, mm-hmm. getting their heart rates to the same level, getting the same aerobic challenge, but this added a, a different element of, of, of taxing their brain. And this, um, I, I think, was a great study. And they, what they found is that if you added the the coordination challenge to it which is like playing soccer right it it uh, made the test scores go up even further okay uh, beyond so um and there are many other tests like that that have that have been done subsequent but basically people need to think this what what we're trying to achieve in terms of learning with exercise is you want to make your 100 billion brain cells that you have at the highest state of being what we call plastic, being ready to grow. Mm-hmm. 
because the only way we learn anything is for our brain cells to grow. And that's how we encode or we uh, pull in our information um, by growing. Uh, uh, We grow the information in. We actually grow bigger synapses, more uh, neurotransmitter, more receptors uh, on the other side, you know, to make, we, we increase the wiring, if you will, right, uh, of the information and, and to bring the, the nerve cells to the highest state of plasticity exercise is the best thing that we know of that allows us to take in the information and wire it in. So we, we create the best environment for ourselves at, at the micro environment level mm-hmm. by jazzing it up, not only increasing the neurotransmitters, but all these hormones and, and growth factors and stuff that we now get from our, no, we get from our body as well, comes up to our brain to make our brains that much better. Right. And um, something that was news to me, because I had read a book in the past that basically said, you are born with a certain amount of brain cells, and then you just continue to lose them throughout your life. And then when I read this, I was reading about uh, this neurogenesis, this birth of new nerve cells in certain areas of the brain. So, I mean, exercise does increase the growth of these, but how do they become part of the network, essentially? Well, it's a a gift of evolution for us, uh, this neurogenesis or birthing new brain cells, because they go into one of our central memory areas of the brain. That's where we have our stem cells. When we turn on our stem cells, by activating our brain, mm-hmm. and we activate it by learning, by studying, by challenging our brain, by playing games, by being with people, uh, and by exercising. And nothing causes us to make more brain cells than does exercise. So uh, it works in many different ways uh, to in improve the cells that we have, but we also add more cells to our suborgan of the subpart of the brain called the hippocampus, mm-hmm. which is central to memory and learning. And we add more cells to this area. Uh, and we know from animal studies and from human studies that this happens and that exercise is, a, is, is the primo way to, to do this. We add more cells that way than in any other human activity. Right. And um, as the book talks about, the cells are born, but if they're not used, they kind of die off, which is why you need to be learning. Exactly. Um, And you did mention that just, so if you're just like running on a track, doing regular boring aerobic exercise, that's not really going to be doing much to kind of patch those new new neural cells into the network. So that's why it's important to be doing the coordinated activity. Let's not go there because there's two parts to that. Okay. One is it you 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 have to activate you have to use these new brain cells as they're being made, but it it that comes over time. It's not something that is happening while you're exercising. Okay. But but it starts the process. But what you're the reason why it's important to also be in engaged with the environment or with the challenge or learning something as you're exercising, like dance is one of the best forms of exercise for learning. Mm -hmm. 
because you're, it's an ultimate challenge of the brain, both your movement, your listening, your, you're moving in rhythm, you're making the right moves, you have a partner, all that uh, really makes for uh, an, a really challenged brain. And that's what we want to do, is challenge our brains. And, and because when you challenge the brain, it gets the brain ready to learn and develops it to the highest potential that you can. Right. So one thing you mentioned in the book is that it's really good to do exercise in a social context. Yes. And I'm curious to know, has there been any research done on uh, individual sports versus social sports? Sure. There, there, uh, there's not research looking directly at, uh, uh, at one versus the other and who does better and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, uh, the, the, the social sports or team sports or just Zumba groups or biking groups. Uh, you, what the research shows that, that you're more likely to continue that exercise mm -hmm. than you are if you're just a solo uh, runner and, you know, run silent, you know, the, the loneliness of the long distance runner kind of thing, you know, that's mm -hmm. a book from the distant past. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I've, I've always been more of a individual sport kind of guy, but I have noticed that uh, in starting figure skating this year, because I have a coach, it's like basically guaranteed that I will show up because otherwise sure, I'll be disappointed. Like, uh, well, not only disappointed, but you might get charged for it. It's you true. Know, <laughs> that, that, that's, the, uh, that's the big thing. So, you know, one of the, one of the, the things I tell people to get started is to hire a personal trainer. One, because you'll show up, mm -hmm. you'll do it. You'll be there as well as they push you forward. And there's always, there's, there's the magic in the glue of the person that you're working with and, and why people are very, you know, into CrossFit these days. I mean, that's a perfect example of some, something that's really, really worked to help people expand their workout and, and really get into it. Yeah. Because there is that stickiness of the group. Yeah, exactly. I've heard there are gyms. I haven't been to one, but I've heard there are gyms where uh, you basically give them a deposit when you sign up. And then if you skip a certain amount of times, you basically have to forfeit that deposit. So it's kind of a similar uh, concept. Yeah. I think it's in Northern California. They have this, uh, the, this policy but they'll give you your, your money back when you come to the gym more, you know, which is amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty good uh, system. Yeah, yeah. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, stress, because this is something that affects almost every student, and uh, this will be going out very soon to finals times. So stress and anxiety are going to be big issues. And uh, one thing the book talks about is something called the HPA axis and how um, – exercise strengthens it. So can you explain a bit about how that works? Yeah. Well, it, we've we've gone way beyond even what I had in 2008 in the book. I okay. mean, we now now know that uh, going back to the neurogenesis target there, we now know that we're making more of a certain type of cell that contains GABA, which is a uh, another neurotransmitter very very much all over the brain. Mhm. Mm 30% of our cells are GABA cells. And 
it, GABA's basic job is to put the brakes on. Okay. Too much activity, too too much excitement. It sort of puts it, it. It sort of keeps us calm and in a state of equilibrium. So stress uh, is getting us all excited, getting us all ready to respond to a threat from the environment, whatever it might be. Right, like the fight or and flight, basically. Fight or, well, even before fight or flight, is getting ready, okay. getting our body tense, getting us on edge. And then we get ready to fight or flight. Then we get into the real uh, target. So the HPA is the, gets turned, we, we, we get ready. And then we, if it's really, really serious, we'll, we'll target the HPA axis or the uh, hypothalamus pituitary axis. Hmm. that goes down to the adrenal gland to say, okay, we need more and more epinephrine. We already have it running, but we, we need more of it, and we need to have the stress hormone cortisol released because it's a real emergency. So we go into a panic kind of flight and uh, or, or panic kind of episode, and you either fight or flee, flee uh, which is the wise thing to do, or you freeze if uh, you get dumbstruck on stage for instance when you're giving a talk and uh all of a sudden you go into a panic mode and you can't move your mouth you can't remember your words um mm -hmm. uh and that's a, a, a horrible example of fight or flight um but it's it's too much stress and uh so in panicking and about schoolwork is the same way. It's one of the things that I do uh, around this time or, or uh, every year at, the, at Harvard is talk to students about the need to continue to, to continue their working out, to continue their exercise routine uh, be, during the stressful periods because it will help them not only learn and all that, but it will help them deal with the stresses because exercise is a stress but you have recovery and you build your resilience to the stresses mm -hmm. so that you become more able to put the brakes on and now we're, we're learning so much about all this stuff as it as as time goes on um, we're able to put the brakes on so that it, it it's it has to be more and more of a threat to us uh, as if we get the fitter we are, the more fit you are physically, right? The the harder it is to get yourself you could get yourself stressed. So it it not only strengthens the the trigger for the HPA access and uh, basically makes it so it won't be tripped as easily, but it also increases the production of GABA, which can put the brakes on if the HPA access has already been triggered. Is that correct? Right. Right. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So it's both improving your resilience to stress in the first place, but also your ability to deal with it once it happens. It comes yes. And, exactly. uh, and that's probably where it kind of feeds into the anxiety problem, right? Cause if you have anxiety, this, uh, a stronger HPA access is going to uh, decrease anxiety on the whole pretty much. Yeah. I wouldn't get hung up on HPA access there. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's not stronger. It's it's more under con your own control. It's, okay. It's 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 less variable and it's less uh, less affected randomly by your own. You know, I mean, most people deal with you get their own stress level up by worrying, mm -hmm. 
and going over and over and over again the fear of failure the fear of, fear of not getting this paper in or whatever it is right uh, and then they uh, it often leads to them doing worse than they would have uh, had they just uh, put all that energy into going after it right so just a couple of final questions here I'm really curious as to the state of research uh, since the book has been published so is there maybe one study or one finding that's happened recently that has you really excited? Uh, there, there's uh, so many studies coming in. For instance, a big one was about BDNF, which is a very powerful, uh, the most powerful growth factor in the brain. And it's the, the brain's fertilizer. And we make more BDNF, and that was always a big question. Why do we make more BDNF when we exercise? Well, what happens is when you fire a nerve cell, and we have 100 billion of them, so remember, when you fire a nerve cell on the postsynaptic side, there's a synapse between the firing and the receiving end, but when you fire it and it hits the, the, the receptor on the receiving end of the postsynaptic side, mm -hmm. this sets up a, a feedback loop to get back to the cell that fired to turn on the genes to say, make more fertilizer because we're using this brain cell. Okay. And so this is one of the exciting things about three years ago that we actually showed that it was not we, but I mean, it, uh, a bunch of people at MIT showed that this is really what was happening. And that's why we make more BDNF when we're exercising when because we're using the more brain cells than we exercise when we exercise than in any other human activity mm -hmm. so uh this this is really was exciting to find out why and how and and so forth so last question for people who are just super stressed out um their, their schedules are absolutely packed um and they say like oh i don't have time to work out or i don't have time to right. exercise What's like a minimum amount that well, we can tell them to get per day? That's going to be you know the other sure. the other app for your phone is the Tabata app T A P A T A B A T A Tabata. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. What's that one? Doctor Tabata. It's in my book. Um, that Tabata is a four minute exercise. Okay, it's very similar to the seven minute exercise, but it's it's really doing one exercise for four minutes. But basically, what you do is you do 20 seconds hard, 10 seconds rest, times eight. Mm -hmm. So you really get your heart rate up. You really turn your brain on. You really get a, a huge amount of benefits because you'll be, if you're, if you know, during those 20 seconds, you give it all you got and because you're going to get a 10-second break, and then you start again and again and again. And uh, it really, this is the way the, Dr. Tabata is Japanese, and he, he developed this for the Japanese speed skaters um, okay. for the Olympics uh, to end their workouts with, uh, you know, a powerful um, end of the workout kind of thing. Awesome. My girlfriend wants to be a speed skater, so I'll probably have to send that to her then. <laughs> well, Dr. Rady, thank you so much for coming to the show. This has been uh, really enlightening, and I'm hopefully this interview will get people to read your book because I really want them to. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Fun being here. 
All right, guys. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Rady. And like I said, I highly recommend reading his book. It is really, really just eye-opening uh, on all the facets of how exercise improves your brain. Now, I wanted to do a little bit of follow-up before I close this episode out because I want to talk a little bit about my personal exercise routine that I have right now. And it really does change a lot. And uh, it's actually one of the things he talks about in the book uh, about how changing routines are actually good. Our brains are meant to adapt to changing circumstances and to learn new things. So a routine that lasts forever isn't exactly the best thing for our brains. Uh, and that actually helped me kind of reconcile this problem I was having with where I was like, I want to present these routines that I have, my morning routine, my workout routine, but then two weeks later, it's going to be different and obsolete, and maybe it wasn't good to present in the first place. Well, I've realized both through this book and through just talking with friends that, no, a routine is good, and then you change it, and you continually adapt it for your needs as they evolve, but uh, that doesn't mean the previous routine wasn't good. So that's going to help me with uh, being okay with publishing, say, videos on my morning routines or this episode right now, which will talk a bit about my workout routine, even though it may change. So speaking of that workout routine, if you're curious, my current workout routine, which I'm actually putting on my calendar now, thanks to uh, the episode with Cal Newport, where he says to schedule things like work and schedule things like working out. So it's kind of primed in your brain. Uh, I am currently waking up at about 5.15 in the morning, uh, most mornings now, and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that is for figure skating practice. I go to the rink and I have a practice session with my coach, and she basically says, you're not doing this right, you need to improve for about half an hour, and then I do about another half an hour of practice on my own. Now, that's really good for um, for learning new complex movements. It's a sport, like Dr. Rady said, it's really really important for learning and for patching those new nerve cells into your network. However, I have noticed that when I'm at practice, my heart rate is usually not super high up there. Um, it is for a little bit when I'm doing like intense stroking drills going around the rink really quickly. But for the most part, I've found that I'm just working on really technical moves that I have to do slowly. Otherwise I will fall. So I decided to add in an extra half an hour to an hour of exercise afterwards by running. And there's a trail right next to the rink that I can run. It gets me about three miles of running in. And I do that right after my uh, my skating session. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are my lifting days. So I will, I will bike to the gym now that it's warm. If it's cold, I have to drive. And uh, the gym is about oh, four miles away from my house, I think. So I go there. I've got a, a different workout routine. I do each of the three days. And that workout routine emphasizes powerlifting at first, um, but then also goes into a more circuit or superset-based routine of a, uh, accessory exercises that is a bit less dependent on long rest intervals, which I definitely like. And then on Thursdays, I also do yoga with my girlfriend, which has been ridiculously beneficial to my skating and my overall flexibility in general. In fact, I've had a knee problem due to athletics as a teenager for years and years. And actually, I found that doing yoga has improved how good it feels and how less frequent the pain comes, but also it's just stronger and I'm more able to use it in sports. And I'm actually, it's actually really helping my skating. In fact, when I started um, using the left leg was kind of a dicey proposition. My right leg was much stronger and much better at balancing. And now they're kind of evening out. So yoga really helps. And I found that Taking kind of a you know a three-pronged approach to having aerobics, strength training, and flexibility training has just overall increased my health. So um, the last thing I want to talk about, because that's kind of the routine there, 
And then I also do a lot of rollerblading with my friend Martin, just basically whenever we feel like it. And I don't feel guilty for skipping out on work to rollerblade because as Dr. Rady has very clearly shown in this podcast and in his book, going out and getting some exercise in, it's going to make me a more efficient worker when I get back to my desk. So the way I got started, at least this year, um, I've been trying to exercise for my whole life, but I noticed in 2015, my exercise was not where it should have been. I was maybe going to the gym once a week. I was not running. Um, and when I got cold, I stopped skateboarding and I hadn't started figure skating at that point. So it was basically just once per week to the gym and that was it. Now, when 2016 started, I was having lunch with my friend Andrew, not the Andrew who co-hosts LMM with me, but an Andrew here in Des Moines that I know. And he asked me, dude, do you want to take a, this ice skating class? I want to learn to play hockey and I don't know how to skate and I don't want to do it alone because it's all little kids. So will you do it with me? And I was like, sure, man. So me and Andrew, the two huge bearded guys at Learn to Skate with all these kids, we took this nine week class. It was two classes per week. And um, I ended up really, really loving it. And the reason I ended up figure skating instead of doing hockey was because you have to buy skates, like rental skates are terrible. And um, you can't really learn on both at the same time. So somebody told me it's easier to learn in figure skates and then you can move to hockey if you wanted to. So I, I went and bought figure skates and ended up just really liking it. And uh, right now I want to stick with that. And who knows, maybe hockey will come in the future. But for now, I'm sticking with uh, doing figure, which is awesome. And then one of the most important things I realized was once I was kind of committed to a sport where I had to improve and I also had to improve my general level of fitness and strength and flexibility to get better in the sport. My motivation to go to the gym and to run and to go to yoga was just sky high because it's no longer just going to the gym to look good or to quote unquote be healthy because quote unquote you're supposed to. No, every time I go to the gym now, I'm thinking to myself, I'm here to improve my ability uh, to progress in my sport. And that just makes my motivation so much higher. So I guess if I'm going to translate any of this personal experience into a recommendation for you, it would be to say, uh, like Dr. Rady said, start small. The seven minute workout app can be really helpful. And when I was doing a more home-based morning routine that didn't involve athletics, I was using that to start my day. But also consider just trying out a sport. If you've got a friend who really wants to try a specific sport and you've never done it before, I'd say give it a shot. You never know if you're going to fall in love with it. If you don't, you can always try something else, but you might end up really liking it. And that might in turn increase your motivation to exercise across the board. And then like we talked about in this podcast, that's going to most likely improve your ability to learn and improve your grades. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode and hopefully this little bit of follow-up was enjoyable as well. Once again, you can find those show notes over at CIGpodcast.com and click on the episode 105 link to get all those resource links. And also, if you want to help support the show, on that show notes page, you will find a link to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And that is massively helpful to the growth of the show with ratings and reviews and subscriptions in iTunes. All those stats and factors go into iTunes' weird robot brain and tells it, hey, this podcast is good. Let's bump it up the rankings and show it to more people. And that's what helps the show grow. So if you want to support it, that is a great way to do it. It's really easy. It takes about five minutes to do. And I would be massively appreciative if you could take some time to do that. So that is all I've got for this episode. I will see you in next week's episode. And until then, go get a run in. Stay cute.